Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brant. And this episode, we are discussing the seven-inch single by Hooster Du, Eight Miles High, SST number 25. And we've actually got a fair amount of cool things, I think, to talk about with respect to this single. You know, sometimes you kind of worry, are you going to have enough to talk about? But I think we've got some some good little tidbits and factoids. But before that, Brant, is there anything, any spiels you need to get off your chest? Yeah, I, there is. Last week we kind of, I guess, uh, made a deal to listen to, to check out some recommendations. I don't know if you uh, listened to uh, Farrakhet and Medications, but I did listen to a Buzz Rodeo album called Combine. Or oh, com- yeah. Or Combine. And a Looser Tulis album called Ana- Anatomiac. Yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the good one that I've got. I liked them both. Yeah, they're but good. Buzz Rodeo is very Jesus Lizard esque. Yeah, that's why I checked them out because they were on some of the boards that I, I'm on. They said you got to check out these guys. Kind of got a Jesus Lizard vibe, and I checked them out, and they definitely do, and I like them a lot. There's a few other bands that kind of have a bit of a Jesus Lizard vibe. I don't know if you've heard of like Blacklisters, which is another band that I listen to. Hmm. I listen to Medications and Farrakhet again, uh, kind of a recommendation that you made because of an earlier one that you made that I liked by that band, The Effects. Yeah, I don't know a ton about those bands, but I'm pretty sure I saw on the Discord site that they share a member. Yeah, they do, and I can't remember his name, but... So, I listen to Faircat Medications. I like Faircat a lot better than Medications, but I also like Medications. Those are two more good recommendations, but what I did was, you sent me a couple of files to check out. I just had a couple of, like, listen to a couple of quick snippets, and I was just like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to I gotta make an order from Discord. It's been about probably 15 or 20 years since I ordered from Discord. Are both albums still I, available? So, and he, and the part of the reason I wanted to make an order from Discord is because that record, the effects, you can't get it on anything other than their Bandcamp website, which I and I ordered off. I order off a of Bandcamp a fair amount now and then, but I thought... Since I liked Farrakhet so much, I want to save shipping, basically. So I went to Discord and ordered uh, all their stuff and the medications, too. I don't think Discord still has all of them. I basically bought anything that they had available on vinyl still. Yeah, I think for Farrakhet, all there is is the album The View From This Tower, which is really good. I mean, it's Fugazi-esque at times. It's... uh a band we've mentioned a few times that we really both really like from Canada called Pigment Vehicle. I can hear it uh, kind of reminds me of them sometimes. I think all there is from that band is that album, The View From This Tower, and a collection called Anthology, which is maybe some singles and compilation tracks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, I, I can't even remember, I picked them up earlier this week, but I'm pretty sure I got both on the way. I can't wait to listen to those. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I was, pretty, I was pretty stoked because Discord is one of those labels that when I was a kid, I would go and you know go to the bank and get a twenty dollar bill in U.S. cash, put it in an envelope, and then a month later, uh, you know, in your mailbox, you've got a couple of singles or actually probably back then I was ordering tapes and CDs. They were always um, they were, always reasonably priced, like eight dollars postage bu- paid from Discord. Yeah, ten bucks a pop, something like that, and uh, always had a little note in there from their shipping department sometimes it was uh amy who i believe is ian's wife who plays in the evens with him i've got a box of all those things somewhere and i'm pretty sure i've got 
a couple of, you know, thanks, Ryan, type thing. Used to get those when I would order from Alternative Tentacles all the time, too, which always made it very cool because it's a little bit of a personal touch. Yeah, you um, got any spiels? I got one quick one. We're talking about Husker Du on this episode, and a while back we were talking about how Grant Hart unfortunately passed away, and we were talking about other projects that he had done, and I came across a record that I had never heard of that he's on in a, in a shop the other day, a record called Yano Namos. Hmm. It's called Yano Namos Comes Alive. It's Grant Hart, and the other members are from a band or bands called Duck Kicking or Vulture. And Yano Namos, it, they actually had a record out way back on New Alliance, which I checked out as well. And is Grant on that? He is. He's on both. And it seems like it's kind of improv i guess live improv music does he drum it, he does yeah, yeah. he drums there's very minimal vocals on it it's not the greatest uh stuff but i don't know it, i saw grant hart on it and i kind of felt bad for not checking out much of his post husker do stuff and i thought i would check it out it was cheap it doesn't really rock it's kind of like slow and droney and improv-y okay but I thought I would mention that. I guess you would call it, would you call that posthumously released, I guess? Oh, this just came out. Yeah, it's a 2017 release. Sorry, I should have said that. And it's on that label, MVD Audio. Okay. That puts out a bunch of re-releases and a bunch of DVDs and stuff. And you said it's, it's live? Or I it's believe like live in the studio? Yeah. Okay. It doesn't give a lot of detail as to how it was recorded. I bet you could look it up, but it's live. Okay. It's kind of neat. I would put it in the category of that that big Walnuts Yonder record that we uh, mentioned with Watt and the guy from Terra Malos. Right. Kind of neat. Um, probably not going to be many multiple listens, though. Roger that. Should we get into uh, Eight Miles High? Absolutely. History lesson, part one. This is one of the few singles we've gotten to so far. I guess we've looked at maybe five or so and this is sst 25 this was kind of a a stopgap single the a side was recorded during the zen arcade sessions i think it was like a warm-up song in the studio and they put this out to kind of bridge i guess it would have been metal circus and zen arcade as they were gearing up for that one yeah terry katzman says is quoted in i think it might be the michael azarad book he says they played it as a warm-up because they wanted to bang off all the Zen songs in one take. That was kind of the plan. So they warmed up with this one. Yeah, and this would have been October 83, I guess, they entered the studio then. And what I had read was they wanted to at least get the basic tracks kind of recorded in one take. And they probably go back... Well, they definitely did when you listen to Zen Arcade. They went back and did some, some overdubs. This song, though, Eight Miles High, it was an encore favorite Early, like you know during this time frame 83 it's kind of a barn burner as it's described yeah it's um, you there's a lot of like quotes in like we said on the metal circus episode there's so much husker do stuff available and uh this song really gets a lot of praise in a lot of the stuff you see as being like a real showstopper live well you know we'll get to it in a minute maybe about like how many how many different versions of this song are out there there's just a ton on live tapes and stuff like that this is one of the very very first singles i bought when i was a kid like just 
getting into punk rock. I don't know where I bought it. And I mean, it's still the same one I bought. I put this single on a tape. Back then, I would have taken, you know, whatever singles I had and some EPs and stuff, maybe a couple of my favorite tracks, put it onto a compilation tape, like a, a greatest hits for my Walkman. Yep. And whenever this song came on, I don't know, I was always really into it. It's a great song. And I don't like the birds who, who wrote it. It's a cover, we this, should say that. I, I'm assuming most people yeah. that are listening know that the A-side, this is a two-song single, and the A-side, Eight Miles High, is a cover by the Birds, yeah. the 60s band, by the, the Birds. Birds. Yeah. Who I, I do like, so we can talk about that. Really? Yeah. Well, you know what? I like some Crosby, Stills, and Nash stuff, for sure. I didn't really like the Birds that much. But for me, what I was going to get to is, this is a Husker Du song. It's it's not a, a Birds song for me. I played it to death, um, and this song really has a, a special spot for me did you well, ever they definitely hear, they definitely put their own spin on it too um, oh yeah did you ever see anything about like speaking of the birds and crosby stills and nash did you ever see anything about um what was the guy in the band is it roger mcginn McEwen, yep or McEwen, yeah and uh he had like a bit of a, a twitter thing with david crosby and asked hey i wonder what david crosby thinks of this song the cover of the husker du song cover yeah oh no yeah mcginn mcginn or what geez i'm gonna mispronounce it yeah mcginn (laughs) he said on twitter i thought it was a creative take i wonder what david crosby thinks about this and then he does does like i don't know the at sign or the hashtag or whatever to get crosby in on it yeah and crosby's response was quote unquote didn't get me Huh. So McEwen's a fan, Crosby not. Okay. Well, this uh, definitely... the original came out uh, in 1966 and uh, was banned on U.S. radio when it was released uh, for perceived drug connotations in the lyrics. This is the start of, like, 60s psychedelic rock. If you read Bob Mould's book, he talks a lot about his singles collection, and he, he had a lot of, like, 60s pop singles that uh, he really cherished and kind of uh, he brought with him when he moved to uh, Minneapolis and I think was a real, like, really bonded over those singles maybe with some of the familiar names that you hear, like maybe Peter Jesperson or uh, Terry Katzman or Chris Osgood, for sure, with Grant Hart, a shared love of, uh, of 60s pop music. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, the thing about for me and the birds is... uh, like I went through a real Graham Parsons phase, and he's on he's on that album Sweethearts Sweethearts of the Rodeo, which is probably my my favorite Birds album. I don't love everything they've done, but some of it's really good. And I also went through a phase where I watched that movie. This is when I was much younger. Watched that movie uh, uh, Easy Rider quite a bit, and they're featured fairly heavily on the soundtrack for that. And of course, that- as you know, Ryan, I'm into a lot of like I guess '60s garage bands like, say, the Chesterfield Kings or something like that. Yep. And a lot of those bands have a pretty big Birds influence. I was going to mention these two albums I picked up last year. They came out uh, once, one at the start of the year and one at the, the beginning of the year on this label called You Are the Cosmos, and they're called uh, Twelve String High, Volume 1 and 2. They're both double albums, and it's all people playing 12-string guitars, like songs with, you know, the Birds... Like this, uh, the the original of this song, I think, has like a guitar solo. The guitar solo is played on a 12-string guitar. 
which yeah these are great compilations there's uh all kinds of bands on here the parson redheads deadbeat poets the higher state beginner's mind reverberations green seagull tons of cool bands and it's i mean again it's just a real throwback to to that era and the birds in particular i think are a big influence on a lot of the bands from that kind of scene no kidding i haven't heard those compilations but i i have a pretty good sense of the type of stuff that's on it and it's am i right that it wouldn't just be 12 string guitar but probably rickenbacker 12 string guitar oh yeah the artwork all is all you know pictures of rickenbackers and it's got a diagram of what each of the 12 strings is tuned to it's pretty cool i've never played a 12 string guitar myself but and i mean a lot of bands in the 80s as well like uh we've talked a few times about the paisley underground scene like green on red and the long riders and uh, the dream syndicate they they definitely owe a debt to the birds and even some of the bigger stuff like tom petty yes oh yeah and what's the label it's on we are the cosmos you are the cosmos you are the cosmos so that's got to be a throwback to chris bell from big star hey yeah i think this label is actually the label that maybe reissued did the complete chris bell but i'm not sure about that that just came out. oh the box set yeah uno momento no the box set is on omnivore oh right right i just made a list of some of the bands i could think of that maybe were influenced by the birds some of them have named already but i also included teenage fan club the jayhawks the plim souls lots of bands and uh and husker do yeah absolutely hey and do you want to know uh what else might be a reference to the birds on this single other than doing the song what's that the the cover photo oh with the birds (laughs) (laughs) you might be onto something there i might be onto something i got another uh reference to the the birds on the cover photo um maybe on history lesson part two okay we'll hang on to that yeah so that's the a side i don't know do you have anything else to say about about the song eight miles high no nothing more for me to say other than i still can't get enough of it all these years later bob mold's uh vocal performance on it is just insane he he mentions in his book he says it was intense straight from the primal core like the wailing of an abandoned child he also mentions that when this single came out it caught a lot of people's attention it got a lot of airplay and he cites it as setting the stage for much of the attention that zen arcade would eventually get well i think that was kind of the plan they were already you know husker du was starting to get played on college radio around this time like diane for example and a few of the other songs and i think that was kind of the plan like it's a throwback to the 60s where you release a single right yeah to kind of hype the full length only typically the a side of the single is the hit off the album they didn't do that this time i mean terry katzman calls the whole thing a rush job uh he says it's got a weak b-side which we'll get to in a minute i don't know if you read up on the the promo pack that went out for zen arcade when that one was eventually released they made like a 12 inch version of i guess you know the greatest hits off of zen arcade and sent that to the radio stations and eight mi- this song eight miles high made it onto that 12 inch yeah so it was a song that didn't make it onto the double lp from this single yeah it was definitely released as something to tour on until zen came out and uh, i mean you read you read a lot about like you were saying bob's performance in particular 
live, you know, he would really go full Bob on this song. <laughs> <laughs> Love it when he goes full Bob. Yeah. I've only seen him play twice. I saw him as just kind of solo electric, really good. Uh, but then I saw him with uh, Worcester and Narducci. Oh, yeah. Like the trio that he tours as recently. And I don't know how old Bob is, 50s, maybe even 60s, but he goes full Bob every time. I've only seen him twice, but every time I see him, he goes full Bob. He leaves it He leaves it all out on the stage. It's, it's amazing. He's a pro. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's great because, I mean... It sounds like the record, but it also sound it has live little nuances. He, you know, he makes each song a little bit different. Um, he hits all the wrong notes at the right times. He's off key when it when it's the best time to be off key, and when he's got to sing right on key, he hits it perfect. Very very cool. You know, I'm a you know I'm a Super Chunk fan as too as well. Yeah. And uh, I've all saw Super Chunk way way back. I can't even. I can't even hardly remember the concert, but Worcester on drums, he's a, he's a monster on drums. I had no idea how good of a drummer he is, and he just fits Bob Mould. And uh, Narducci is really killer on bass with the backup vocals. Yeah, there's a great part in Bob's book where he talks about, I think John Worcester joined the band like as a quick fill-in or like super last minute. The tour was maybe not going so well. I'm, I'm just recalling this off memory, but... I seem to recall the tour was not going well when they when he first played with John Worcester and he was instantly elated like as soon as they started playing. Yeah, it's uh I never saw Sugar or anything like that, but it's and I've heard that Sugar is really good live too, but it's hard to imagine better rhythm section other than, you know, Greg Norton and Grant Hart. Yeah, I I wrote down a few quotes about the A-side too. I'm not sure which where I got this one from, but Grant Hart is talking about some of the other bands I mentioned that were influenced by the Birds in the 80s, uh, like a 60s influence, and he says, if they had covered 8 Miles High, it, would, it wouldn't have sounded that much different from the original. We, cr- yep. we created an entirely new song out of it, which I think is pretty accurate. Both of those statements are accurate. Like, most bands back then were doing pretty true to the original covers, I would say. Yeah, I read the same quote, and that's exactly why I say Eight Miles High is a Husker Du song for me. Yeah. Do you want to move on to the B-side? Sure. The B-side is Masochism World, and that's live. Masochism World appears on Zen Arcade eventually. It was recorded live at the Royal Albert Arms, which is a hotel in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Here's my, very quickly, my second reference to the birds which is uh the photograph on the cover not only are they birds they're canada geese oh probably two completely unintentional references to to themselves recorded in canada with canada geese on it a side a song by the birds maybe not Um, that much of a rush job that seems like a little (laughs) bit of thought went into that (laughs) yeah it's pretty deliberate Mm -hmm. i was looking at um you remember i mentioned that i don't know what you would call it a catalog or anthology that flex book series yep it's called a discography of north american punk hardcore and power pop from 1975 to 1985 and i was looking up eight miles high and there's just a ton of different versions of it that came out but the photo credit it's a photo taken by naomi peterson as well but on um the earlier pressings of the single She's not credited. The first pressing, incidentally, 
is black vinyl, blue labels, large center hole. And that's the one that I have. It's not worth any, anything more than any of the millions of other versions that uh, are out there. There's, uh, I think you can get a 10-inch version of this combined with uh, another single that we'll talk about later on. They just they pumped out a whole bunch of versions of this single. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something, Ryan. When we stopped recording last week's episode and we're just shooting the breeze a little bit, we were talking about, I mean, we don't do a lot of pre-show discussion between the two of, a, two of us, not a ton about what we're going to do. But I said, do you have anything for uh, next week for Eight Miles High? And you said, well, we can talk about the fact that the B-side was recorded in Winnipeg. And I don't own this single. I've never owned the actual single. I either never knew that or had forgotten it. So I did a little deep dive. It really piqued my interest. Wait a second. If we're going to deep dive into Winnipeg, is that is it time for History Lesson Part 2? Sure. History Lesson Part 2. All right. Take me to Winnipeg, Brent. Well, I'm going to take you to the Royal Albert. <laughs> <laughs> You've been? I have been. A yeah. terrible band I was in played there in the early 90s. Um, it's, it's kind of a dive, but it's the perfect place if you're a punk rock band to play. And uh, it's one of those places where... You know, your hotel room is a couple of cots and you share the bathroom on each floor. Yeah. So I was thinking about Canadian punk and specifically a little bit closer to home, the Calgarian Hotel in Calgary, which Bob also talks about in his book. I think they... And Husker Du played there a ton. Yeah. He talks about a pretty infamous, like, five-night stand they did there. And you read a lot about the Calgarian, you know, in early punk lore, quite violent and... It's a lot like the Royal Albert. And I, and I was thinking to myself, why is that? Like, you don't read about that as much in American, like the kind of semi-famous Amer- early American stuff. It was mostly like run-down, you know, Chinese food cafes and stuff like that, that, that the bands would get gigs in when they were trying to find oh. a, a punk space to host, host their gigs. Here in Canada... I was thinking, why is it that you hear about these run-down hotels? And I think it, a lot of it has to do with our liquor laws in Canada. For anybody who doesn't know, liquor in, in most places in Canada was, and in some places still is, controlled by the government. They control liquor quite heavily, and the government sells it. But you can get a liquor license, and in the 70s, I know it was much easier to get a license to sell liquor if you had a hotel. If you wanted to sell off, we, up here we call it off-sale, like basically if you wanted to sell beer only, back then it couldn't be like hard alcohol, it could only be beer. If you wanted to sell it to go, you had to have a hotel. You couldn't sell it, at, yeah. like we don't have convenience stores that sell liquor. Well, some pro, some provinces do now, but back in the 70s you now, did. Yeah. And if you wanted to get, a, an easier way to get a liquor license was to have a what they called a dance license. But to have a dance license, you had to have live music. That was a stipulation, I believe, up until like the early to mid-80s. So most of these hotels have stages. And most of them were pretty run down by the mid-80s when hardcore was happening. And, you know, we're happy to have the business. And they put, they put up a band who was touring through for like a week. Yeah, these are the days of like seven-night stands. And... The drinking age in Manitoba, Winnipeg, where Winnipeg is, the province Winnipeg's in, is 18. So you could, you know, 
there's a lot of 18 year old punk rockers i'm assuming back then yeah not 21 yeah and just so people have like another perhaps a, a more famous reference i don't know if you remember that movie another state of mind yeah they i don't know if they show them playing at the calgarian do they I'm not. I can't recall if uh, they show them playing at the Calgarian, but when the, the BYO tour bus comes through, they stay at this old punk house in Calgary called the Manor. And when I talk to some of the people who were in the scene back then, not me, that's a little before my time, and I didn't live here. Um, but the Calgarian and the Manor, those were the two, you know, landmarks for a band that came through. From Canada, but especially from the U.S., because you needed a place to stay if you were going to play, you know, not at the hotel or something. Um, and sometimes, even if you were playing at the hotels, you didn't get to stay there. So you had to have, like, kind of the communal punk house. And I know when I went through Winnipeg and played there in the early 90s, and when I played the Royal Albert, I stayed at, like, the communal punk house in Winnipeg was called the Red Fisher House, which is named after a really good Winnipeg band from back then. Yeah. So I've been to the Royal Albert a few times to see shows. It's, even back then, it was rough. It's gotten, I don't even know if it's still open. I, I didn't look too hard. I, I did find a Google search, or did a Google search and found a show from 2007, coincidentally, with the Subhumans from their the new Dark Age Parade era. Who, we, oh, yeah. who we were just talking about, and they played with the band The Unwanted, who we're going to talk about right away here. But in 2004, <laughs> here's the one thing I did find. In 2004, there was a horrific homicide in one of the rooms, and uh, they recovered jewelry uh, that had been stolen from Susan Sarandon in the room. <laughs> that's the funny part. That's the funny part. The, fu- the not- yeah, you should shouldn't laugh the not funny part is uh, this happened in a room at the hotel the the guy who did it is has been convicted is and is in jail but he beheaded the guy castrated him dismembered him disemboweled him stacked all his body parts in the bathtub and all his organs were, were removed and they never recovered them you found that on a google search yeah. <laughs> so, oh my god so that's, that's the that's, that's the royal albert hotel yeah, well, I'll tell you, um, when I toured back then and we got put up at the Royal Albert, uh, I slept on top of the bed in my sleeping bag. Yeah. Winnipeg is, I'm pretty sure, tops like the stats every year for most violent crimes in, in Canada. It did for a while, that's for sure. Yeah. So tell me about The Unwanted. So The one Unwanted opened this show that where this was recorded. And I, did, I, I looked around a little bit on the Husker Du database that Paul Hilkoff runs. And he's got, I mean, if if you haven't been on that site, you really should go on it. I think it's thirdav or thirdav.com. It's insane. It's insane. It's, uh, he's got s- just a ridiculous amount of stuff. It's it's very cool. And so he's got set lists. I think they did a, th- this was a part of a three-night stand. And three or four. I think they did three nights at the Royal Albert and then a fourth at a different spot. Yeah. There's a cool uh, thing you can find from a, a Winnipeg zine that he's got posted on there called Pages of Rage. And there's an interview with the band and they're pretty pissed off <laughs> at like either the promoter or the owner of the, I think it's the Royal uh, owner of the Royal Albert. The interviewer says, what do you think of the Royal Albert? And Bob goes, not much, not much at all. 
<laughs> we signed a, a contract to come up and play music. We didn't sign a contract to control the crowd. And apparently the fire department was outside the whole show threatening to shut it down in case it went over capacity. And the promoter told uh, Bob to shut the, calm the crowd down, which is not really the band's job, right? But I mean, I doubt there was any security at this show or anything. Yeah, I highly doubt that too. Yeah. And he's got uh, set lists, I think, for all three of the shows. And what I noticed on the set list is how much Zen, uh, Zen Arcade material they're playing already at this time. And apparently, yep. this came out in like March of 84. By uh, April and May of 84, they're almost playing uh, New Day Rising in its entirety. Yes. Yep. That's just nuts. Yeah, I think they released. So they, they recorded this. Um, in the, the Zen Arcade sessions in the fall of 83. I believe this single was released actually in April of 84. Yeah. And I, I read that a number of times too, that by the time they're touring, they're, they're done playing Zen Arcade. Yeah. Well, they're already playing, like, I wrote down the tracks that, are, that I could find in the set lists uh, for these gigs. They're playing Something I Learned Today. They're opening with that. Broken Home, Broken Heart. Reoccurring Dreams, which is cool that they're playing that, Pride, Chartered Trips, Newest Industry, and of course, Masochism World, the B-side to this song. And he's got the quality of the recordings, of, and he, he must have, like, I don't know, hundreds of board tapes and audience recordings. This is an audience recording. I'm pretty sure he's got it listed as an audience recording. It's a, it's, he's got it as a B-plus for quality. And Terry Katzman says in one of the books, he says the band was getting tapes mailed to them. You know, we would get stuff the whole time they were on the road. People were mailing these tapes in. And uh, you can see, you can hear on the, on the single that they're coming out of Diane. Yep. And going, they go into masochism world. Did you find out anything about the unwanted? Yeah, I did. So the unwanted are a fairly well-known Winnipeg punk band. The big bands, back then were like stretch marks and of course personality crisis one of the in my opinion the best bands to come out of canadian hardcore so i i reached out to uh norman sim the vocalist for the unwanted and i'm not sure if they're playing shows currently but they they have been playing shows recently you know in the last couple of years and i asked him what he remembered about uh, the show and i'll read out for you what he what he sent me here oh he does say uh, that the Royal Albert Arms in Winnipeg is now defunct. So Ah, there you yeah. go. He says, We worked with Dave and Steve McKeegan, who just got into the gig promo business, and let's just say Dave was never one to shy away from bringing top-shelf talent to Winnipeg and never saw hurdles or challenges too big to overcome. It was a cold December, and sev several of us were at Dave's apartment hand-drawing posters, which we somehow managed to get to stay up outside despite that brutal cold Winnipeg is famous for. This was a one-off gig, not a tour, so in order to make the border crossing easy on Husker Du, we made all of our equipment available for them at the gig. The Huskers were used to cold, but I don't think they were ready for our type of cold when they pulled into town. We got them set up at the Albert, and Dave took them around town for some promo. The gig was crazy, sold out for two nights straight. The Huskers did not disappoint. Their sets seemed to just flow one song into the next. No talk, just rock. The local press were, recept were receptive and printed positive reviews for both bands. One fun funny memory was the bar manager, Zorin, put a plastic railing around the dance floor with a sign, No S Slam Dance. This was, 
<laughs> this was just an invite to me. I encouraged the crowd to tear down the railing, which they did in quick fashion. It was cool watching the body stream through the broken railing one by one, like a scene out of Dawn of the Dead, but the zombies wanted to dance, not eat people. Turned out the sound man made a board tape, and I guess Bob liked it so much they released a single from it. The band left a mark on Winnipeg, but sadly never returned. This was not the first Husker Du were to play in Winnipeg. A show was set up a year earlier in an underground club called the Doghouse. Likely a good thing they did not make it across the border the first time as the doghouse got busted that night. The place was flooded by police. They took all the miners in a paddy wagon. It was an ugly scene, but a memorable one. Over a hundred punks singing Youth, Brigade, Youth Brigade's Man in Blue in unison for the Winnipe Winnipeg police was a sight to see. <laughs> you know that song? Yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What a great uh, quote from him. Yeah, thanks to Norman Sim for sending that in. That's awesome. So, do you want to hit each other with some 80s Winnipeg punk bands quick? Yeah. Okay. Well, so I'm gonna... we don't have to just do 80s because there's great, great bands from the 90s and beyond as well. Okay, let's start in the 80s. Let's continue the Winnipeg deep dive. I'll start with Artificial Life, The Beach Mutants, and I love the name of this band, Dangerously Americanized canadians yeah um, I, i've got some of like the bigger ones from the scene stretch marks yeah who played a lot with like snfu and my favorite although people in calgary will tell you they're a calgary band uh personality crisis who uh released one of the great canadian punk albums creatures for a while and both yeah, you know what? both those bands we've mentioned before this sounds escaping label which is out of winnipeg they're kind of complete Studio recordings have been released on CD, and most of that stuff's pretty hard to come by these days. And there's also a great book about personality crisis. Yeah, agreed. Written by Chris that, Walter. Uh, Chris Walter, he put out a number of books that are pretty good reads. I really like the Randy Rampage and SNFU books. Um, he ta he talks a lot about the Winnipeg punk scene, too, which was one of the most vibrant punk scenes in Canada. Yeah, the, the Smash the State book that I mentioned maybe last week or a couple of weeks ago, it lists personality crisis. It, it actually, when it has the releases, it says where they are from. Yep. It lists it lists them as Calgary slash Winnipeg. Yeah, they moved to Calgary fairly early on. Here's some more early Winnipeg punk. Low Life, Some Weird Sin. Iggy Pop reference. Yeah, Stretch Marks you mentioned. The Unwanted. Now, we mentioned The Unwanted. They had one LP out. And it was a split release on BYO, actually. So it's interesting that they were singing that Youth Brigade song. I wonder if they're on that Something Better Change compilation. They are all, they're on the Something to Believe in compilation. Okay. When I was a kid, I got like the CD of kind of both of those BYO comps mm -hmm. on CD. And that was one of the, the songs that stood out to me, actually. I ended up getting them eventually on kind of re-released LPs so I could listen to them in kind of the original order but those are we were talking about early compilations and stuff those are a while good back ones. Those, yeah, yeah those first two BYO compilations were very formative for me anyways there was a really um, strong connection with those LA bands and Canada yeah for yeah. sure well let's go into the 90s in Winnipeg for me I mentioned Red Fisher before I have to mention Propagandi as well Still, uh, they still were kicking ass too. Totally kicking yeah. ass. What a what an amazing bunch of musicians. One of the just... one of the best live bands going 
today, I would say. Yeah, they're killer. Have you ever seen that there's a video of like Bill Stevenson from All and Flag and Descendants just going off on about how much he loves propaganda? That sounds familiar. And he, he sings along with that song, Without Love. Mm. It's uh, He just he loses it yeah. at how good they they're are. They're an amazing they, band. It, yeah, it's well-deserved. They just get better every year uh, for me, like being a metalhead. You know, I love like the direction they've gone. It's about as metal as I get, yeah. and I still, I still really like them. Back then, too, in the '90s, there were a number of bands that were part of kind of the Red Fisher propaganda scene that didn't really get much notoriety outside of Winnipeg or even the prairies of Canada. But a, a lot of really good bands that I, that I follow, like Elliot. Paint, is a Painted band. Thin is a band I always liked from Winnipeg. Me too. Yeah. Painted Thin and Elliot for sure. Some of those G7 welcoming committee bands, uh, which is propaganda. It's Propaganda's label. I don't think it's going anymore. But like they had some super like hard left political bands. Uh, some grind stuff like Swallowing Shit is a cool band that I like. Yeah, I had. I think I had a split cassette with Swallowing Shit on it. I bet you I still have it. Very well documented scene too. There's a number of books. There's apparently a documentary called Piss. Really? Yeah, called Piss on You. Huh. And there's a a newer book called Missing Like Teeth. Yeah. I've read that one. There's apparently a stretch stretch marks book. They reference it in the liner notes on this uh, CD that I mentioned a few minutes ago. There was also a healthier appreciation for noise out of Winnipeg in the 90s too. Kittens. Yeah, Kittens is the one that comes to my mind first and foremost. You know what we should talk about before we get to the ballot result? What's that? Some runout grooves on the single. Okay. I actually I went ahead and read this read these in advance and uh, i'm curious to see what you think these runout grooves are in reference to so on side a it says quote lame gray town winnipeg, and then winnipeg? On, well just wait for it wait for it let's hear the b-side then it says known for its sound hmm. i could I, i'm sure it's not winnipeg but it could be it's probably saint paul yeah um, one other thing that I've not noticed on Renault Grooves up until now is on this one, you can see there's always those numbers and stuff, the, I guess the matrix, matrixes or matrices or whatever. On this one, you can see an imprint that says K-Disc, which must have been the pressing plant. I've seen that on lots of SST stuff. Uh, I haven't seen it on any of mine. Oh, I've seen it for sure. I, I noticed it on the meat puppets, both of them. Okay. I don't have any early puppets on vinyl. Joe Carducci tells a really good story in that Enter Naomi book about the pressing plants and like all the characters that ran them and stuff like that. It's it's really oh, yeah. really interesting. All right, is it ballot result time? I'd say so. Ballot result. So what do you think, Masochism World? Ha ha. <laughs> this one's no contest. It's got to be eight miles high. Yeah. What's next week? Next week is Black Flag Family Man, and I I spoke about this very briefly when we did. Black Flag, My War, and you probably know what I think of Family Man already. But um, part of the reason that we're doing this, part of the reason I really like doing this is listening to things for the first time all over again. Okay, thanks for tuning in, everyone. <laughs>